Hey guys, welcome back to the uh, System Design Podcast with Wes and Kevin. Uh, we have a great topic for you guys this week, um, talking about worker queues. Um, Wes has been doing a lot of research on RabbitMQ in particular, and we thought it would be good to just talk about the implementation as well as, you know, when and why you would use worker queues. So before we get started with, you know, that interesting subject, um, there's a bit of housekeeping that we wanted to do. Uh, we got a few questions uh, this last week from listeners. Uh, in particular, we heard from a listener in California who asked us, generally speaking, if there was any other resources that Wes and I would recommend uh, if they were, you know, in the process of either job searching or basically wanting to study up on system design in general. Um, so yeah, th- th- there's there's definitely a couple. Uh, the the best resource that we've come across is the system design primer, primer that is hosted by uh, Don Martin on GitHub. Uh, we'll link it in the podcast description, but it's definitely a good place to start if you're just you know venturing into this subject domain. Uh, the information is pretty high level, but will give you a sense of uh, where to dive deeper. And the other other recommendation that we give is the high scalability website. Um, it's got pretty bad CSS, but has a lot of useful links to anything that, you know, we might mention in the podcast or, you know, you might be curious about. Nice. I'll also throw in that some companies have really good tech blogs um, that you can follow. In particular, I think Netflix is really cool, but there's a bunch of cool ones out there. Awesome. Yeah, so I, I guess to start off um, talking about worker queues, I have with me an example that I want to walk through, Wes. So let's say, for example, I am generating, I'm trying to build a service that allows me to generate a PDF and email slash deliver it to uh, end users. My question there is, how would we build this system and what are the constraints that we're working with? Yeah, sure. Um, you know, I, I guess a key aspect of this is like, I'm imagining this is a website someone clicks on and they like, you know, type in some stuff and they say, they click a button that says like generate PDF, right? And let's imagine that Jim making the PDF takes a few minutes, maybe. Um, you don't want to wait until the, like, I don't know, you don't want like to click the button and then wait until the PDF is generated before the button, which made a network request, returns a 200, right? Like, you want to basically have this like process um, that will kind of happen asynchronously, right? So like not in time with uh, the user, and at some time later it'll it'll send them the the report. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. So so the way you describe it, um, I have I have a question. So if so, what is the problem here with an HTTP request? I imagine that you can have your backing service. Uh, still kick off an asynchronous operation uh, and just respond quickly with a message received um, acknowledgement. Sure. So I guess uh, when you say kick off an async operation, I guess kind of what you might mean is something like, um, so I make the web request, the server, you know, I hit a controller endpoint. What it does is it maybe spawns off a thread and it, you know, that thread has the job of um, generating the email, but and like, you know, so that thread lives on. It's kind of like a fire and forget kind of thing where we start the thread, but as it's going, we kind of forget about it and we return a 200. Is that what you're describing? Right. So in that example, like we spin off a separate thread to generate the PDF. Um, yep. 
Yeah, so I, I guess, you know, some potential problems here are, um, one, what happens if that uh, machine dies, right? Like, if the power gets pulled on it, that email is never going to get generated, and the user doesn't really have a way to know that, right? Like, um, you know, yeah, it, you know, even if, yeah, if you think about, like, polling, too, like, how could they really pull the page and say, like, where's my progress? Like, it, it's just running on some thread somewhere. Um, another thing that could be potentially problematic here is um, what happens if we get, like, our site becomes very popular all of a sudden, and, you know, we have, maybe say we had 10 machines that, that you know, each machine is both a web server, like, to host our HTML, and it's also the email, like, you know, the the PDF generator. Um, well, we don't really have a good way to, like, prioritize responding to like HTML requests, right? Like people loading the website, which is, you know, in this in this case, we want to respond, like we want to load the website really quickly, but it's okay if we take a few more minutes to generate the PDF, right? Like if that takes a little bit longer because there's high traffic, that's okay. But, you know, our paradigm of just splitting off a thread to do this work doesn't really account for that. Okay, so that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, so we started off this episode talking about message queues. Is that something that potentially could help solve this problem here? Yeah, it is. Um, and, you know, we're going to talk specifically about RabbitMQ. Um, but I guess to give a very, very high level description of a message queue, uh, you can think of it as the idea that there's kind of this, you know, what you want to do is basically have a man in the middle of your, you know, your request and your the person making the request and the person doing the work, Right. So, for example, like, when I had that web server that, you know, in my controller endpoint, when I was thinking, like, all right, now I got this request, I want to start kicking off this work to generate the PDF, um, you, the, the the message queue is actually kind of a man in the middle there. So you would basically send a message to the message queue, saying, like, hey, kick off this work, here's the settings to do, use to make the PDF. And um, then, you know, your controller could return, and, like, it could rest assured that its message has been sent to the queue and some worker will pick it up off the queue later and perform the work. So, you know, this queue, to be more specific, it's kind of, you can imagine like a process, like an actual process running on some web server somewhere. And um, so people are sending to it, right? That's the producers sending messages. Uh, And there's people that are consumers that are workers that pull off messages from the queue, perform the work associated with the message, and then, uh, finish you know they, they do the work and they're done right and then the message is removed from the queue that way the, the work doesn't get done twice i see that makes sense so because there is this queue that exists and messages um won't get pulled off the queue until you know it is finished we are building in some sort of redundant or some sort of resistance to machine level failure yeah exactly if, if one of the workers dies halfway through um we can kind of like you know leave the message on the queue basically and the other thing i'll note you know we i mean you know we mentioned the um what if we get like slammed with a bunch of web requests at the same time? Well, the cool thing here is that our queue can just get a little bit longer, right? Like, you know, it's okay for the buffer to increase, like the queue length to increase. Um, it might just be a little slower to get some of those later messages, but that's okay. Because um, this whole system isn't going to like, you know, overload with its you know, RAM usage or CPU usage, right? I see. So to play it back, the worker queue provides two advantages so far. Um, one is uh, resistance to you know machine level failure, and the other one is to be able to distribute whatever workload we have across time. Yeah, yeah, across both time and physical machines, actually, um, both dimensions. Yeah. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. Cool. Um, 
So yeah, you know, we mentioned Rabbit MQ a second ago. I will say that Kevin and I have actually both worked with um, a different message queue service that um, is built in-house at MasterCard. Uh, it's a pretty similar effect with mild differences, but um, I guess that's to say neither of us has particularly used this technology, but we have pretty similar experience. Um, we didn't want to talk about an internal tool that wouldn't be very helpful. So we, we read up on the docs for RabbitMQ. Um, uh, yeah, I also mentioned that the uh, the docs for RabbitMQ actually are really good. And, you know, I did some demos and, and ran code locally and would definitely recommend um, going through their documentation if people are interested in diving further in. All right. So, yeah, the at a high level, you know, message queues in RabbitMQ makes a lot of sense to me. Um, you know, when I'm looking at the RabbitMQ documentation, I'm seeing a lot of uh, key terms that might be new to the viewer, including publisher, exchange, queue, and consumers. Can we walk through the PDF example and highlight, you know, the specific terminology just to get the the listeners on the same page as us? Yeah, sure. Um, so, and yeah, let's start with publisher, right? Um, so the publisher is the one sending the message to the exchange, which we'll get to the exchange in a second. But in our example, you know, that first controller endpoint that you hit when you click like submit, you know, my request to the web service, um, it in that controller endpoint, the code will send a message to RabbitMQ saying like, create this PDF. That is the publisher or sorry. Uh, yeah. Producer publisher. Um, that is the one who is like sending the message, putting it on the queue, right? So they're producing it, sending it to the queue. Um, the next thing you mentioned is an exchange. Uh, I would say think of an exchange as like a post office. It's kind of at the heart of the message queue system. Um, and basically you can imagine this like, yeah, it's like a post office where you kind of like, if you bring your letter or your message to the post office, you can trust that the post office will give it to the right, uh, listener to the person receiving it. Right. Sure. Um, Cool. And so the queue itself, right, these are literal queues, like you learn in data structures and algorithms classes, um, and that's where the messages go when they're waiting to be picked up by a receiver, right? So like, I don't know, imagine if we're delivering the message to like Joe's house, uh, we just stack, like we have a big queue of letters in front of his house, and he just pulls the first one in the front of the queue, opens it, reads it, when he's done, he pulls the next one, and we just deliver to the back of the queue, right? Sure. Um, and then... The consumer, that would be Joe in this case, the person getting the message and probably doing some work with the message, right? So we might call that a worker as well. Um, so that's the consumer. I see. That makes sense. And in, and so in general, I can think of the publisher as publishing, you know, some sort of request to the exchange. The exchange, based on some set of criteria, routes, you know, this work to be done to the queue. And then the consumer, which is the individual worker, uh, you know, picks up from these cues when it has the necessary bandwidth to, you know, consume slash do the work. Is that the right flow uh, that we should be thinking about this? Yep, that's a that's a great description. Cool. Okay, so so now that we've sort of talked about at a high level, you know, what the system looks like for a message queue, uh, let's dive into each individual component, starting out with the producer slash publisher. Sure. Um, so, you know, you can imagine everyone that's using part of the system is calling an API. Um, this API for sending a message um, is pretty simple. Pretty much you need to declare, you know, where's the RabbitMQ server living? Like what, what machine is it on, right? So if it's 
on the same machine as your sender, you, you just say localhost. If it's on a different machine, you give an IP address. So now that you know where the message to, um, and then you need to describe the name of the queue you want to send to. So if you think about like the PDF generating example we have, um, you could maybe have a queue called like PDFs to generate, right? And uh, you know that's the name of the queue you're going to send this message to. Then whatever other like parameters you want, right? So like you know who's the you know who's the PDF for what email should you send it to, stuff like that. Um, so that's pretty much all the work the like sender needs to do. Um, they can basically just, you know, send that message whenever they want and uh, they can pretty much be assured, um, you know, they can basically wait until that their RabbitMQ uh, process, you know, turns an affirmative saying like, I got the message. And once it's once RabbitMQ has it, they can generally kind of trust that it will be securely in that queue. I see. So this is this is for a fire and forget type operations. Yeah, um, yeah. There's not really a supernatural way of like waiting on the work to be done, right? If you wanted to wait on the work to be done, um, like in terms of like you know blocking the thread from executing before the work is done, maybe you don't even need a, a worker queue at all, right? Sure. Okay, so the producer makes sense to me. Um, the next step is the producer publishes to an exchange. Uh, can you go into detail about what this exchange is? Yeah, sure. Um, you know, the exchange is a way to put a message on the right queue, right? So in this case, you know, and imagine queues are kind of typed, right? Like you have a queue for each type of work you want. Um, it just has this, like a string name, but... Um, you know, you, you try to give it a reasonable name, right? So for our case, let's say we had one queue that exists called, you know, email, uh, reports to generate, right? Um, so when I send a message to the exchange, it's, you know, of the type, but, you know, when I, again, when I send the message, I told it which, um, like, kind of type of message it was. I, I gave it some message headers. Um, you want to, like, the exchange will put it on the right queue. In this case, it'll put it on the queue called reports to generate, right? Um, does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense to me. So why is the exchange necessary here? Why can't the producer push, you know, messages directly onto the queue? Uh, in our example, the generate to PDF queue? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Um, and in our example, I guess we really don't need an exchange, but, uh, there actually are some other key use cases here that, that make us want an exchange. Um, one in particular is, it's kind of like the idea of uh, who is going to listen to my message, right? So actually, one, one abstraction here in general is when you send a message, you actually don't super care which, like, where it goes. Um, so when you send it to the exchange, the exchange's job is to figure out where it goes, right? Um, and, you know, your message has these tags, like, you know, this is a report to generate, right? Um, but in reality, there can be different cues that are kind of pulling messages with that tag on it. Um, and so, for example, let's say we had a fan-out exchange, okay? That, that basically means for a given message, we're going to um, put that message on multiple queues, which are subscribed that message type, okay? So for, for our specific example, let's say that um, when we, you know, go to add a, a message to generate a, a PDF, 
we also want to um, send that user a thank you email. And maybe we also want to like create an invoice for them um, to bill them in the mail, right? Like, you know, to send them a bill for using our service. And those three things are kind of parallel things um, that we can do. So what we can actually do is like when we send that message to the exchange, it'll put that message on three separate queues. The first one is the like reports to generate queue. The second one is the thank you email queue. And the third one is the um, create an invoice queue. Um, and then, you know, each of those queues can have their own workers pulling from them separately. I see. That makes sense to me. So it is the way to think about it that like every queue that you're maintaining is response can be responsible for doing a discrete set of work that is, you know, decoupled from the work that is to be done in the other queue. And the exchange's job is to make sure that for a given message, um, the appropriate queues, um, the, the message is loaded onto the appropriate queues based on, you know, some sort of metadata uh, associated with the, with the message itself. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, the cool thing about this is, <clears throat> let's say I wanted to, in this particular use case, let's say I wanted to add another consumer. Um, it, let's say it's a consumer that, like, I don't know, it, I don't know, it does some funny thing, like, it prints out a piece of paper <laughs> in someone's machine, right? Sure. Anytime that, that someone clicks this button. Very right? practical um, examples. Exactly. And, uh, the cool thing is we don't have to update the code that pushes messages to the exchange. All we have to do is declare our new uh, service, you know, our new like worker that, that prints these papers out and attach that to the exchange <clears throat> and configure it correctly. And, you know, we didn't have to touch the code in the controller endpoint that was sending these messages in the first place. So it really helps scale well that way. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. So in, in some ways, the exchange allows you to decouple the relationship between the queues and the producers themselves so that if you add new fun functionality to your application, right, you don't have to, you know, manually go in and change um, the binding between the producers and the queue themselves, which I, that does sound very useful, especially if your application is... Um, you know, is a client application that is deployed onto mobile devices or something like that. Yeah, uh, exactly. I can give you one <clears throat> particular use case uh, from my experience. Um, basically, you know, I work with MasterCard. We, you know, I'm on a team that does some kind of like offline data processing stuff. Like we build reports really for, for users um, in a web tool to look at their data, um, for like banks to look at their data. And kind of every day, we get new transactions from, you know, somewhere else in MasterCard. They send us a big flat file of a ton of new transactions. And there's a lot of things we want to do when that happens, right? So, like, you know, in particular, we want to, like, I don't know, trigger a process to say, go update these databases, go update these tables, go send a user a message saying, like, hey, your new data is available. All of those things, um, it would be great if we could just have, when someone publishes that uh new data, like that file comes in, if they could just add a message to a queue or to, a, to an exchange, and that exchange could fan that out to a bunch of queues, they're doing different types of work when that data comes in. Okay, so the exchange part of the system makes sense to me. So after the exchange sort of pushes this um, message into the appropriate queue, um, I imagine some sort of worker process comes in and picks, picks that information up. Uh, we don't have to dive into the, you know, the the infrastructure of the queue itself, since it sounds pretty self-explanatory. 
uh, is probably similar to any queue that you would find in a data structures class. Can we elaborate a little bit about like what a worker process in in RabbitMQ looks like, uh, and you know basically details about implementation things like that? Yeah, sure. I think you should think of a worker as being you know a process that is tied to one particular queue, and it is kind of dedicated to doing work for that queue. Um, so in particular, you know, we have the reports to generate. Uh, queue. What you would want to do is, again, we're using the, the kind of APIs that RabbitMQ provides for us. Um, you give it, you know, again, like, you know, what is the location of the RabbitMQ server, the IP address of the server. Um, you would say, what is the name of the queue, right? And then you basically just need to define a, like, a callback function, but it's really just the function that does the work, right? So, like, given the message, perform, you know, a function that takes in the message and does the work of generating the email, right? And once you have this defined, basically the API for it is, you know, they have a they have a method, it's called like start consuming, I think. But it basically, that method is basically a while loop that will pull a message off the queue and call your function uh, and do the work. Then once that's done, it will call the next, you know, pull the next thing off the queue and then call your function and then keep, you know, going on endlessly. So I guess a natural question that extends off of that is, you know, what happens if one of your workers that's picking up work uh, sort of crashes or it picks up work that is um, too time consuming? Uh, is there any sort of barriers in place that ensures that my message still gets picked up and processed successfully, even if that particular worker dies? Yeah, sure. Um, so, you know, we have a thing called message acknowledgements. Uh, basically, the idea is that when, and this is an option you can turn on or off, right? Depending on how, um, what requirements you have. Um, but, you know, basically you can say when a worker finishes doing the work, then it should send a message to RabbitMQ, like a central process saying like, hey, I just finished uh, working, you know, this particular message. I just finished processing it. And, only when that central process gets that message saying it is done, will it remove the message from the queue, right? Um, so the, the alternative would be to remove the message from the queue as soon as the worker starts going, right? Um, and the risk there is, again, if the worker just dies right after it starts, the message is lost forever and never completed. Um, so, you know, that's a that's a pretty strong uh, guarantee the system makes. One thing I'll note is you probably want to make your code idempotent, um, Basically, what if your worker finishes, and then right before it sends that message acknowledgement, it dies. So it actually does the work, but it doesn't actually tell the central server it did the work. I didn't um, so because of that. You kind of want to be careful. the word idempotent. Do you mind describing what that means? Yeah, it, it's it basically means you can run a process once, or you can run it ten times, and the result will be the same, right? So it's safe to run multiple times, and it'll have the same result as if you only ran it once. I see. Cool. That make that yeah. That, that makes sense to me. I guess um, my next question is: it, it sounds like you know having this pool of workers is like one of the nice benefits of having this pool of workers is that for each type of work, uh, you can scale up the number of workers depending on um, depending on you know probability that you're going to be executing that kind of work. So you can sort of fine grain control um, the 
allocate your resources, your system resources, your machine level resources um, across your system. Is that is that correct? Is there anything that RabbitMQ gives us to allow us to configure that? That might be worded incorrectly. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that makes sense. Um, yeah, you can definitely imagine um, because you can have for like any particular queue, you can have multiple workers tied to that queue. They're doing work from that queue, right? So if my reports to generate, you know, queue is, I know it's going to be a really expensive queue and have a lot of stuff on it. I can spin up a hundred different workers and have them all pointed to that queue and pulling work off that queue. Um, that's a great way to scale, you know, horizontally. Um, and yeah, there, there are some, uh, I think RabbitMQ does have some tools for like expanding and, and, you know, uh, adding more, uh, workers, you can also imagine something like Kubernetes coming in and deploying more worker containers. Um, I don't know. I don't think we want to get too far into that, but you can definitely imagine there's some scalability that comes um, pretty reasonably with this. Yeah, that, that, that makes a lot of sense. So just to play it back, right, with all of the – with RabbitMQ, you're sort of separating out um, and decoupling producers from exchanges and from the workers themselves, and this allows you to basically scale out your system – more effectively as well as you know be less prone to to machine failures failures. yeah Yeah. um cool okay so so now that we've taken a look at you know what a message queue is uh and the you know the components involved i guess the next natural question i have is in the context of like let's say a system design interview or a system design on the job what are the characteristics of a system that would make me lean towards wanting to you know leverage RabbitMQ and message queues in general? Yeah, sure. I think something that should make you start thinking about message queues is situations where you have long-running asynchronous tasks, right? So long-running is, you know, you don't want to wait for them to finish because it's going to take too long for whatever context you're in right now. Um, And asynchronous meaning it's kind of okay to come back to them later, right? Um, And so to... To give a particular example, um, let's say you go to upload a YouTube video, right? Probably the steps that need to happen are they need to generate captions, uh, like, you know, basically the speech to text um, for the for the video. They need to scan the content for anything inappropriate. Um, so probably using some like AI or ML um, code to, to do content checking. Um, they might want to like generate thumbnails, uh, maybe based on what they think is going to be the best, you know, uh, thumbnail picture. So, so given those, you know, kind of three diff- different use cases or three different pieces of work we want to do, you can imagine that when you upload a video to YouTube, it will internally send a, you know, message to a work to a message queue somewhere, um, and maybe it'll, you know, the exchange will route that message to three different queues. One is the generate thumbnails queue. One's the generate captions queue. One is the scan for inappropriate content queue, and you know, whatever workers are configured can come pull off those tasks from those queues. And when they're all three finished, um, it can, you know, send the user a message saying your video has succeeded in being uploaded. Um, and again, the nice thing there is like, if they want to later on add another service, um, they can do that without having to interfere with the upload code. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. And also something worth calling out is in that particular example, right, it's nice that we're also able to handle traffic spikes very well. I imagine like when you're uploading YouTube videos, um, that's behavior that is 
uh, not distributed equally across time. So, for example, if there was a current event that was, you know, you know, very big, right? We'd imagine a lot of video YouTube spikes to happen during that time. So it's nice to have in our infrastructure the capability to handle those those spikes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, an- another um, use case that sort of comes to mind um, that I'm not sure if you've um, encountered in your research is, you know, the PubSub slash publisher subscriber model. So a lot of mobile applications these days, for example, uh, like sports websites or news feeds or stock feeds, um, they rely on some sort of publisher subscriber model in order to um, push events that happen to different mobile applications. So for example, you know, I might have a, uh, a sport app that is following my local sports team, while others across the US have mobile applications that follow their own sports teams, right? It's nice to have some sort of infrastructure in place to, you know, push sports scores uh, to, you know, the appropriate device uh, when they come out in close to real time. I imagine a message queue like RabbitMQ is useful here, especially if we're utilizing the fanout exchange type. Uh, so, so we'd imagine like, you know, if we have like a centralized, you know, sports server that um, that pushes out, you know, that, that that receives sports scores and pushes it out when 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 scores are updated. Other examples that I can think about are like you know group chats, for example, right? Like if 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 we wanted to make sure that like as I'm sending, you know, messages to a a group chat that I'm in, I want to make sure that that message ends up. Uh, on all mobile devices of all individuals within my group, a message queue is a, a really nice way to make sure um, that that happens. Okay, cool. So with with those uses cases out of the way, out of the way, it's I think it becomes pretty clear um, when we'd want to use a message queue. Um, anything else to add, Wes? I think that's it for for the topic. Um, this was honestly a lot of. You know, this is a big, pretty big challenge to express, uh, especially in audio. Um, so I hope, you know, people made it this far. And I do really recommend checking out the docs for RabbitMQ in particular um, to get some more, uh, you know, illustrative examples. I will call out that um, it would be helpful for viewers to, you know, leave us a review on uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Podcasts, or wherever they consume their podcasts. It really helps us out as we're, you know, pushing out this content to 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 our subscribers via message use. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, oh, the podcast cool. is a good example. Okay. Anyways, <laughs> <laughs> can't believe yeah. we didn't think of that. Yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> All right. Start over. <laughs>